If you've got a Bible, uh, you may want to turn to Matthew and chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have a few spare, so you can just raise your hand and one will be delivered to you at great speed. And the words will be appearing on the screen behind me as well of the verses that I touch on. So you've got a few options there. Um, But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Over the last, I don't know how long I've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount now, maybe going on two years. Um, (laughs) Seems like longer, doesn't it? Um, (laughs) We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we're up to Matthew chapter 6, so we're just over halfway through. And um, we're up to this passage here. We'll read from verse 19 um, of Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So last time that I preached, we looked at the first couple of verses, uh, first two or three verses in this passage, verses 19 to 21. And uh, Jesus was encouraging us and the disciples to lay up treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. And we saw that time that he was saying, it's a good thing to store up treasure. It's, it's not a bad thing to do. It's, it's not wrong to, to store up treasures. But he said, just have the long-term perspective. Have the right perspective on life. Life doesn't end after our earthly life. Three score years and ten people used to call it. It's possibly a bit longer now. Um, that's not all that there is to life. Have the long-term perspective. Consider eternal life and what will happen there. Store up treasures for there. What does it mean to lay up treasure in heaven? Well, I guess we saw that if laying up treasures on earth meant hoarding money, hoarding what we have, making sure that we have enough for the future on earth, then laying up treasure in heaven is the opposite of that. In other words, lights are going out as we speak. In other words, um, being generous with our money and uh, giving to God rather than hoarding money for ourselves. Another passage where Jesus touches on some of these same themes, really, is recounted in Luke, um, chapter 12, and verse 32, where Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes in, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. Similar kind of thing. He spells it out a little bit more. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. In other words, don't just think about money for yourself. Actually, what about others? Sell what you have, give to the poor, make sure others are looked after as well. The treasure and blessings that God gives us aren't just for accumulating, but are for giving away and for sharing in ways which Christ is glorified and honored. So that's, that's a summary of what we looked at last time. And uh, now we get to these verses 22 and 23. Um, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? They seem quite odd, these verses, don't they, really? In, in the middle of this whole passage about money, um, starting off with treasures in heaven, finishing off, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Okay, I can understand where we're going there. It almost seems like those two bits should fit together. But then suddenly we have this passage in the middle of it where Jesus starts talking about our eyes and our body being full of light and bad eyes and light within us being darkness. What? What's Jesus talking about here? The tendency, I guess, as a preacher could be to skip over those verses and just go straight to verse 24 um, because it does seem to follow on fairly well. Well, that's the temptation. I have resisted the temptation, and we're actually going to look at these verses in the middle. Why does Jesus start to talk about bad eyes and good eyes? And how does it tie in with what he's been talking about? And how does it tie in with what he's going to talk about? Well, hopefully, when you leave here today, you will be able to answer that question. (laughs) The eye is the lamp of the body. We'll start with that, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. I guess the eye is the way in which you see light. Where there is light, and as I've said, one of the lights up here has just gone out. Um, So I saw less light coming into my eyes. um, Because when you see light, it comes in through the eyes. Um, When you shut your eyes, you're in darkness. Uh, When they're opened, you do have light filling the whole of you. I guess it's like uh, illustrated by this, this torch. And it's almost like the light coming in and shining down into your body. So Jesus is saying, like, as the light comes in, as you see light, it comes in through your eyes and it goes into your body. Your whole self, who you are, is light. You, you, you sense that there is light there. When your eyes are shut, when there is darkness, your body is in darkness. So that's one thing. But obviously Jesus isn't just talking about the way we see things physically, physical light. He's talking about the way we see things spiritually as well. In other words, the way in which you see the world, the way in which, how you look, the way you see, affects the whole of you, affects how you are. The way in which you see the world affects how you are. Some people call this a world view. The way you look at the world, the way you view the world. And everyone has a worldview. Everyone looks at the world in a certain way. For everyone, it may be very different, but everyone here has a worldview. You might think, I never knew I had a worldview before. Well, no, you might not have known you had a worldview. Often, a worldview isn't that obvious. It doesn't come out very often. You don't talk about it all too much. It's just something that is actually just accepted. And everyone just lives their life according to that worldview. You might not be conscious of it. But it affects everything that you do. Our worldview affects everything that we do. For example, if you believed that the world was going to end tomorrow, it would affect what you did in the next 24 hours. I don't know if you ever used to play that game or have that discussion with friends when you were younger. Maybe you still have it today. You know, what would you do if you only knew that you had 24 hours to live? What would you do in those 24 hours? People say, oh, well, I'd do so, so, I'd do so, so. Often very different to what they have got planned to do in the next 24 hours. It changes their perspective. And that same thing works on a larger scale. 
What we think about life affects how we are and affects how we behave. So if we're only thinking about this life until we die physically on earth, then that's, we behave in a very different way to if we're thinking about our heavenly life as well. If we're seeing this 70 years, 80 years in terms of eternity, it's the tiniest speck, isn't it? I heard of someone who, who gave an example of this, and they got a huge long rope. Uh, and they said, imagine this long rope is, is your life stretching into eternity. It's just going on forever. And the rope, I think, was going out, say, of this door and out of this door. And then he came and he, he said, look, there's a tiny little thread of red here. And this is our life on earth. This is our time on earth in comparison to the whole of our life in eternity. Yet we make decisions based, so often based on this tiny portion of our life. Instead of making our decisions based on an eternity. That is um, what we might do if we just consider our earthly life. Paul says, you know, we might as well eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He says that in 1 Corinthians 15.32. If, if, if this is all there is, then let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And that's what we see people doing. That's what we see people doing all over society because their view is, we've only got a certain amount of time left in this world. Let's make the most of it. Let's just go out and have as much fun as we can have. Let's just you know, eat and drink and uh, do this and do that because in the end, we're going to die and that's going to be it. This is the only life we've got. You hear people saying it. It affects the choices that they make. Paul explains it more in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. He's encouraging the Ephesians, and he says, I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. How we've just described is how the Gentiles live. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding. They don't see, they don't see light. And they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. That's their thinking. That's how they see things. And then he says, having lost all sensitivity, they give themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. He's saying this is how they see and therefore this is what they do. They just continually indulge in every kind of impurity and they've got a continual lust for more. They just want more and more of this immorality, this impurity. It's their, it's their worldview. Some people have a worldview which does think about life after death, but it's still a warped worldview. For example, extremist uh, Muslims, for example, uh, who believe that their God will reward them uh, if, they, if they kill non-Muslims. Um, obviously, that isn't the view of most Muslims, say, but some extremists, and I guess the extremists in other religions as well, might then see this, that their God will reward them if they make sacrifices. And so that worldview helps them to give their own lives. It's still a wrong worldview. Their eyes are still bad, but their worldview is affecting them. They've got bad eyes. Jesus called the Pharisees blind fools and blind guides in Matthew 23, verses 16 and 17. They were the religious leaders of the day. Jesus said, you're blind. You can't see. You don't see the light. Your eyes are bad. 
Hey, lights back on. Jesus is saying, if our eyes are good, our worldview is right. And we see things in the right way. And then the whole of ourselves will be good. And our actions will be good and follow. If our eyes are bad, we'll be filled with darkness. So that's what kind of Jesus is talking about here, about the eye being the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. But still the question remains, Jesus, what has this got to do with what you were talking about before? What's it got to do with storing up treasures on earth? What's it got to do with serving God and money? And to answer that question, we have to look at another passage to, to give us some clues on this. And actually, it still needs a little bit more explanation. So please follow me on this. We're going to Matthew 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. I will paraphrase what Jesus says in this parable. You can follow it if you want. He tells a story of um, a, a landowner who goes out in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he sees some men there and he says, look, I tell you what, you can go and work in the vineyard and I will pay you this amount of money, a denarius, uh, the amount of money at the time, I will pay you a denarius for a day's work. The men agree, it's fair price, uh, off we go, they go and work in the vineyard. The landowner goes out a few hours later and he sees some more men uh, standing around and he says, well, will you work in my vineyard too? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll go. So he sends them along a few hours later. The same thing happens a few hours after that, and I think a few hours after that as well. At the 11th hour, just an hour before the end of work, um, he sees some more still standing around. Why are you standing around all day? He says, well, we've got no work. He says, so, so the landowner says, well, go and work in my vineyard. So they go. They just do one hour's work as opposed to 12 hours' work. At the end of the day... Jesus calls the men forward to get their wages who've been working. And he starts off with the ones who went last, the ones who've only worked an hour. And he gives them a denarius. He gives them the same amount of money that he agreed with the men who started and did 12 hours work. And so the men who had been working all day think, oh, he's going to give us more than that. He's obviously very, you know, that's great. We've got more to look forward to. At the end of the day, they get paid and they get a denarius too. And they're not happy. And they complain about it. And they say, well, these guys have only worked for an hour and we've been working all day. And, well, that's not fair. You know, and you can imagine the whole scenario. Um, and Jesus says, look, I'm not being unfair. This is what you agreed to work for. Take your pay and go. And then it gets to verse 15. And this is the, verse, the key verse. He says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous. Okay, you might still be in the dark about the relevance of this, but are you envious because I am generous? The actual words that were used that have been translated, are you envious because I'm generous, are this. Is your eye bad because I am good? That's what Jesus, uh, that's what the landowner actually says to them in this parable of Jesus. You know, don't I, can't I do what I want with my money? Why are you complaining? Or is your eye bad because I'm good? Are you, are you not seeing things right because I'm generous, in other words? He's saying you're seeing it all wrong. Your eyes are bad. You're not seeing the truth. He's saying, can you not see? 
Can you not see the beauty of grace? Can you not see what joy there is in, in generosity? I love to be generous. Yes, I, I said I'd, I'd, I'd employ you for that. But actually, I want to be generous to these guys who came along last. Can't you see how good that is? Can you not see how that is a real blessing to someone? It's just a real joy and treasure to unexpectedly bless someone when they weren't expecting it, they weren't deserving it. Is your eye bad? Well, get good eyes. Can't you see the goodness? A beatitude people, a people uh, who God is creating, us, the church, with good eyes can see God's lavish generosity and grace everywhere. And they respond with generosity themselves. So when Jesus is saying, um, if your eyes are good, your body will be full of light, he's talking about generosity. If you can see grace and generosity and lavishness, then your body will be full of light. If you can't see that, if your eyes are bad, like these workers who went out first into the vineyard, if you're just jealous, if you're thinking that's unfair, if you're thinking, oh, I I should be getting more than that, and you're just thinking about yourself, actually, you've got bad eyes. But let's have good eyes. Let's be generous. Let's be lavish with, with what we have in the same way that Jesus was and in the same way that God is. Some Christians have got hold of this, um, and they just love to bless people unexpectedly in day-to-day life. I know some people uh, love to just put gifts in the offering for people in church, just to bless them. And maybe those people are in real need, and maybe they're not. Because it doesn't matter. We just want to bless you. What wonderful things. Or other ways, just in, just in life, in society. I know some Christians who, who go around, and, they, and they, do th- they do things like, they go and fill their car up with petrol, and, uh, and there might be a car filling up next to them, and they'll go in and they'll pay, and they'll say, and actually, I want to pay for that guy's as well next to me. So they pay for it. So when the guy gets to the front of the queue to pay for his petrol, they're like, well, no, your petrol's been paid for. What? What's that about? Who does that? Actually, they, Christians just think, this is great. I'll just do that. It's fun. They're enjoying it. Or maybe, maybe on, a, on a smaller scale basis, just think, oh, I'm mowing my lawn. I tell you what, my neighbor's out of work. I'll go and mow their lawn as well. So when they get back home from work, their lawn's been mowed. I just want to bless them in that. Or, I don't know, whatever. You, could, you could do so many things. You could go to the library and pay your, uh, pay your library fines if you've got fines. And you could say, actually, look, here's some money. Anyone who comes in today with a fine, actually, I, I want you to pay it out of this money. So no one pays their library fines today. There's all sorts of ways you can think about it. But, and, it and it's not obvious that it's like, oh, there's an evangelistic opportunity here. We're going to, you know, I mean, it's great if people know that, but... It's just about being generous. It's just about having a view of things and a view of money and a view of the world. Some people get hold of that. Um, If you start to look for opportunities to be generous, you'll see them if you've got good eyes. So in Matthew 6, 23, Jesus is saying, an eye that can't see the beauty of generosity is blind to the true and godly things of the world. It's like they're stumbling around in darkness. And Jesus says, oh, how great is that darkness? How sad. How sad that people 
who, who are, are meant to be godly are actually stumbling around in darkness. There's no light in them. They cannot see. What a sad and dark life if we're missing out on the joy of being generous. And we're just consumed by what we can gather for ourselves. We're just thinking about the next thing we can buy for ourselves with our money. Once we've understood what it means to have good eyes or bad eyes, we can understand why Jesus includes this here, because it follows on perfectly. He's already been contrasting treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. You've got a choice. You can lay up treasures on earth or you can lay up treasures in heaven. He's saying you might have bad eyes or you might have good eyes. Or he says you might worship money. You might worship mammon or you might worship God. And he's saying in verse 24, you can't worship both. You can't worship God and money. There's no middle ground. You can't serve two masters. We might think, well, of course we can, of course we can serve two masters. I've got two jobs. I, I've, I've got a part-time job. I've got another job. I can, I can work for two bosses. That's not what Jesus was talking about here. When he says you can't serve two masters, he was, he was mainly talking about the imagery of, of slavery, really. If you're, if, you're, if you're owned as a slave, if you've got a slave master, he's your master. You can't have two masters. You're slave to one or the other. Paul talks about it, doesn't he, when he talks about being either a slave to sin or being a slave to righteousness. You're one or the other. You're one or the other. You can't be set slaves to both. You'd be set free from being a slave to one and then come into being a slave to the other. So Jesus was was talking about, you know, you can't serve God and money. You can't do both. And, and we can potentially slip into thinking that we can. We can think, well, actually, on a Sunday, that's when I come along to a church meeting, and that's when I'm, I'm thinking about God, and uh, I might give some money, and, uh, but that, that's my time. And then Monday to Friday, and potentially Saturday, that's when I'm thinking other things. That's when I'm maybe thinking about myself. Jesus is saying, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. If you're serving the God of mammon, if you're just out for yourself, actually that will mean what you're doing on Sunday is, is kind of fake and is hypocritical. Um, I've got a, passage, a, a, a video that we're going to show, um, which kind of parodies that, um, what our worship is like on a Sunday, if we just have the view that the rest of the week is all out for ourselves. And uh, hopefully that will come on now. As I say, it's a parody. But if we're just thinking in compartmentalized ways, if we're just thinking, well, it's just about Sunday. Actually, the rest of our life, we do what we want. That's what our Sunday worship is. We're just thinking, it's just about ourselves, really. It's just tokenism. It's just routines, going through the motions. That's not what God wants for us. God is making us a people who serve and love him and are, are filled with his spirit and see things the way he sees them. Where our worldview is the same view that God has of the earth, not what the rest of society has. And that affects everything. It affects how much, how we use our money. It affects how we use our time. It affects the things we watch on TV. It affects the friends we will make. It affects everything. It affects who we will choose to marry. 
It affects the jobs that we choose to do. It affects where we choose to work. All of those things because our worldview is different. Jesus says if you can't serve both God and money, you can only serve one master. And you will love one and hate the other. He wasn't meaning absolutely hate, but he was meaning you can't hold them in tension. I think, well, I don't, I don't hate the other. No. But you'll see it for what it is. You'll see that it's an idol. It's a false god. It's something that God hates. And God is encouraging us as a church to see things with good eyes. The Macedonians saw things with good eyes. Paul explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. They saw things with good eyes. Verse 1, he says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Okay, so they wanted to give. They wanted to give to, to the needy in other places, but they were needy themselves. But they were, and, and maybe someone said, well, it's all right, you don't have to give. We understand you've not got much money. You may be a student here today, and you're thinking, well, I've not got a lot of money. You know, I'm just in debt now. Oh, I've, I've only got a bit, you know, I, I've, I've got a, and, and oh, no, you don't have to bother. But they've got hold of something, and they're saying, no, I want to. I want to. I'm pleading with you. Don't, don't miss us out in this. We want to be generous. We want to give. Well, you've not got much to give with. No, but, but we'd, we'd love to. Look, here, we'll, we'll give. We'll give. And Paul's saying, you know, it was entirely on their own. No one was putting, putting any pressure on them. No one was twisting their arm. Come on. What about tithing? What about this or the other? No, they're, they're keen to do it themselves because they see right. And so they gave as much as they could. Actually, they gave even more than they could. Does that work? Well, they did. They did. And Paul says to the Corinthians, who he's writing to, he says, look, uh, I'm not commanding you to give in, eight, in verse 8. He says, I'm not commanding you in this. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He, if he's talking about eyes, he could have said, look, I'm, I want to compare. Your, how do you see compared to how they see? Have you understood it? Do you see Right? He urges them to excel in what he calls in verse uh, 7. He says, I want you to excel in everything. I want to see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Grace of giving? How does that work? I never saw giving, they might have been saying, as something that was to do with grace. I thought it was just something that we have to do. You sign up for the church. You've got to give. No, it's a grace of giving. It's a privilege. Start to see things with different eyes. He goes on in chapter 9 and verse 7 to explain to them. He says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. Not what someone's told him to give, what he's decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under any compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He's saying, don't, if you feel, and, and I'll say it today, if you feel under any pressure at all, 
that as a Christian, as a member of this church, as a visitor to the church, that you have to give. If that's how you see it, I have to give. You know, I ought to do that. Oh, do you know, it's just nagging me. I don't really, I'm, I suppose I ought to set up a standing order. I don't know. How much do you think is appropriate? How much do you think, do you think we have to go for 10%? I don't, okay, if any of that is in your thinking, don't give. Don't give. Because you, you're giving out of legalism. You, you're giving because someone's telling you to. Or because you're feeling you ought to. Pray that God helps you to see. That's what I would say. Pray that God helps you to see. And then as you see things differently, as your worldview changes, actually your actions will change. And suddenly giving and generosity will become something that is grace. The grace of giving. It will be something that you uh, do with generosity and with cheerfulness and with joy. As Paul is describing it. If those passages just seem like a million miles away from your experience, please, don't give. Don't give because you ought. Give because you want to. Give because you see something of God in this. I guess the question to ask ourselves this morning then is how are our eyes? What's our eyesight like? It's good to get your eyes checked out from time to time. I got mine checked out, and then I keep getting a letter every year saying it's about time you got your eyes checked out again, and I'm thinking, oh, do I need to? I don't, and I'm terrible at doing it. I just think, ah, oh, no, put that, put that to one side. But it, it's good to get your eyes checked out from time to time, because we can think that we're seeing okay, because things start to deteriorate, don't they, bit by bit. And so you can't remember what it was like when you saw clearly. You might be seeing things very fuzzily. You know, for all I know, I, maybe I should be able to see the people's faces on the front row. I don't know. But <laughs> it's quite a bonus not doing, but. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Only joking. Um, <laughs> we, oh, I've totally lost my thread now. <laughs> it's good to get your eyes tested. It's good to be able to see. And actually, it's good to, be able to, it's good to test our eyes spiritually. Now, eye tests are not pleasant experiences in my, in my own experience, especially when they say, just put, just put your head to this, this thing. We're just going to blast some air, pressurized air, into your eyes. You think, what? <laughs> and it's like, ow. Ooh, that, was, that was uncomfortable. That wasn't, that wasn't I, I didn't really come here for a pleasant experience here. But it's to test to see, are our eyes good or are they not? And so... We're going to take a quick eye test on this. Um, it might not be comfortable. Uh, you may want to be blissfully ignorant of how your eyesight is. If you, if you do, um, then just um, switch off, put your iPod in or whatever. I'll, I'll finish in about two minutes. And let's remember, before we take this test, this isn't about externals. It's important to know this. It's not about what we do externally. It's about our heart. It's about our attitudes the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is about attitudes, not about what we do uh, so much. Jesus has been talking about that again and again. He says it's not on what's on the outside that counts, it's what's going on in our hearts. That's why he was so uh, condemning of the Pharisees, because they were so much about what you do and how it looks and doing the right thing. And he's saying, but your hearts are rotten, your eyes are bad, 
Um, God is judging our hearts. Legalism in this area tells us what to do. A legalistic mindset has us asking questions like, Can I, is it okay to buy this car? Is it all right if I get this iPad? Um, is, it, is it okay to have home contents insurance? Is it all right to get a pension? That's a legalistic mindset. Is it all right to do this or do that? It's, it's, it's about our hearts. It's not hard. We can easily look spiritual and ascetic and just like frugal with things. But we can still have bad eyes. We can still see things in the wrong way. That's what the Pharisees did. You know, I, I know someone who used to take off her glasses um, that she had to wear when she went out with her boyfriend to the cinema. And, um, you know, it, it, maybe someone she was just started going out with. And that maybe she looked all right, but she couldn't see the film at all. It wasn't really good. She might have looked as though her eyes were fine, but they weren't. So here we are. Here's, here's our eye test. A few questions to ask ourselves. All of us. If you had a choice of two jobs, what would be the thing that would influence us the most? Would it be our salary, how much salary we're going to get, or which is going to advance our career more? Or would it be about our ability to serve God? Which job would help us to serve God the best through the church? Um, question two. Do you have ambitions to move to a more affluent area of the city or potentially a aff more affluent area of the country? Um, question three. When the latest mobile phone or PC, Windows 8 that's coming out, or iPad or any other gadget comes out, do we feel that we really have to get that and get the upgrade? Do we constantly feel the need to get new clothes in order to keep up with the latest fashion? Do we struggle with the idea that someone can be blessed by God, perhaps financially, when we just think they don't deserve it? They don't, I will see their life. They don't deserve that money. They don't deserve to be blessed by God. Do we struggle with that? Do we really enjoy giving to God and to the church? And do we really enjoy being generous to others? Or is it something we feel guilty about because we think we ought to do it more? Uh, and finally, do we like to tip well in restaurants, and uh, are we the first to buy the round of drinks, or keen to be the first to buy the round of drinks, or do we wait for others to buy and actually secretly hope that um, by the end of the evening everyone will have gone home before it gets round to us? Okay, those are a few questions that might just give us an insight into our hearts. And before we finish the eye test, let's just remind ourselves uh, to do a check against our tendency that we can sometimes all do to come up with super spiritual reasons as to why we might be doing something, which actually is, is, is not the main reason at all. Okay? Now, this example might be the main reason for you, but for others it might not be. So, for example, um, we might say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm building an extension on my house because I really want to have people around for core group to our house, or um, I really want to host people on leadership training uh, and be hospitable, so I need, to ha I need to extend my house for that. I mean, the Bible never tells us being hospitable is related to the size of our property, more the size of our hearts. So remember, in all of those things, that's not, please hear me on this, it's not legalism. Don't go away saying, Mark has said we shouldn't have an extension on our house. I'm not saying that at all. Feel free. If your heart is right, if you see right, we're looking at, it's an eye test. Okay.
Eye test is now over. Earplugs out. I'm now probably as popular as someone who's just blasted pressurized air into your eyes. It, it's, it's not comfortable. Because I've done this, I've, I've asked these questions to myself as well, and I know it's not comfortable. But God wants us to see well. He wants us to have good eyes. He wants us to have eyes which, which light up our whole body. And so to have good eyes, often we need to, to recognize our eyes aren't that good. We, you know, God is the ultimate eye surgeon. He, he, he doesn't just come in with laser treatment, but he comes in with Holy Spirit treatment. He can change us as we respond to him and say, God, I, I want to see better. You know, I've heard some of what Mark said. I, I've struggled, to be honest, I've struggled with some of it. But I've, I've got enough of it to think I want to see better. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't enjoy giving. I don't see how. I'm not even sure I believe that I can. Just have, have joy in giving. It, it's difficult. But God, that's what your word says. And God, I, I want to see better. If you can do something. And as we come to God, he will make our eyes better. Remember, God is making us into a beatitude people. We were looking at it right from the start of, of Matthew 5. He's making us to a people who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He's doing that amongst us. It's not his, it's not his standard that we have to get to to be accepted by him. We're accepted by him. We're loved. And he's working on us, changing us. He wants us to be full of light. He wants to see us. He wants us to see the world through good eyes. He wants us to see the way Jesus saw things. He was the light of the world. And as we see things with good eyes and as we are filled with light, we too will be the light to the world. The church, when it's working well and is the light of the world, is an astounding thing. Psalm 112 kind of contrasts and, and, and sums up what we've been saying, really. It says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. So it's not, you know, it's not that wealth's wrong and riches are wrong. And his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he'll never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He'll have no fear of bad news. That's coming on to what Jesus is about to talk about next. He'll have no fear of bad news. His heart's steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart's secure. He'll have no fear. In the end, he'll look with triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked man will see and be vexed. He'll gnash his teeth. And waste away the longings of the wicked. will come to nothing. This man. Who, who is abounding in, 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 in wealth and riches. But yet he's seeing right. He's being generous. He's scattering about his gifts. To the poor. And needy. He's being generous. He's, he's lending freely. He's seeing with good eyes. And God is commending him. That's who we want to be. And corporately as a church, that's what we want to be. Let's, as a church, 
Let's have it our ambition to be characterized by our generosity. Like, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Students often at this time of year, they'll, they'll come around. Maybe some of you are doing it here. They'll come and visit church after church. What's this church like? What that, what's that church like? And very quickly, they can be, you can characterize a certain church. Oh, this church has really good worship times. This church has got really good preaching. This church has got, they're really committed to prayer. Obviously, we want to be all of those things. But we also want to be a church that, is, that people see and say, actually, they're such a generous church. There's such a joy in giving. There's such a lavishness among, its, among the congregation. And as the church, corporately, they, they, we're so generous. Let's want to be like that. A church who serves only one master, God, not mammon, and who shines out God's light to a dark, dark world. Let's pray.